What's up, podcast fam, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ian Brown, and it's great to be back with you once again. You know, I always say that this is the show that helps you think well about the scriptures. That was the goal, the vision I had for starting this podcast. And with that, I go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, when he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And from that verse, we see that there are different elements to loving God. There is a heart or spirit element, an emotional element, but there's also an intellectual element. Now, I come from a charismatic church background, and typically we charismatics do really well loving God with our spirits and souls. But historically speaking, we don't do as well with the intellectual element of loving God and our relationship with him in terms of engaging with his word and studying the scriptures on that thinking intellectual level. So it's been my heart to try and bring more of a balance because when we learn to think well about the scriptures, when we think critically and ask good questions and when we look at context and do all the things we like to do on this show, it leads to good theology. Good theology, in turn, I believe, leads to a good relationship with God. So in keeping with that, in keeping with my goal of helping people to think well about the Bible, whenever I see someone misapply a scripture, it saddens me. And I usually just let it go and continue on my way, but I'm starting to feel a certain burden or responsibility, I guess, to talk about those misapplications whenever I see them. And for the last few months, America has been going through a very pronounced cultural moment. It's been centered around racial injustice and quote-unquote systemic racism. And a popular verse of scripture being thrown around lately has been Amos 5, uh, 21 through 24, popular verses of scripture. Amos 5, 21 through 24. Uh, so let me just read, read the passage here, just so you can have it in your head. This is the English Standard Version. God speaking through the prophet Amos says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Again, this has been a very popular passage as of late with all of the protests and the things happening in America right now. Another thing I've noticed is that certain groups of, of people in the church world are posting and quoting this passage out of the message bible paraphrase so here is uh, eugene peterson who wrote the message bible he did that paraphrase here is his treatment of those verses quote i can't stand your religious meetings i'm fed up with your conferences and conventions i want nothing to do with your religion projects your pretentious slogans and goals I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. 
I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. End quote. So, backing up for a second, a couple of months ago when the protests and the riots first started breaking out across the country, I recorded a podcast episode and I titled it, The Root of Jesse is Our Banner. And that's taken from Isaiah 11, which is one of my all-time favorite passages in the Bible. And in that episode, I talked about God's heart for justice in the prophetic literature. That's actually one of the marks of a true prophet according to the Bible. Remember, our working definition of a prophet here on the Bible School podcast is simply someone who speaks for or on behalf of God. And part of that, part of speaking for God, part of uh, speaking on God's behalf is calling out injustice. So I did that episode and not to pat my own back too much, but I thought it was a pretty good one. It's actually one of the highest um, listened to podcasts that I've done, according to the analytics. So it was pretty good, I thought. And at the end of that episode, I encouraged everyone to read through Isaiah and the other prophets in order to see God's heart for justice. I also ended that episode talking about how true justice can be only found when... We join the kingdom of God and let Messiah Jesus reign in our hearts and lives. Now, since I recorded that podcast, the protests and riots got much, much worse. It's calmed down now for the most part, thank God. But it was really bad for a while. And in the, uh, during the same time, um, churches started to open back up after being shut down uh, due to COVID. However, a lot of politicians in different cities and states have recently once again banned those religious gatherings due to uh, spikes in coronavirus cases. Well, pastors and churches aren't exactly having it this time. You know, by and large, back in March, um, when coronavirus lockdowns first started, churches shut down and went online only. And I really believe pastors made that decision back in March Um, out of love for their congregation, out of um, an abundance of caution. You heard that phrase thrown around a lot during this pandemic, abundance of caution. Uh, But I really believe uh, out of an abundance of caution, out of love for their congregations, pastors made the decision uh, to transition to online-only services for a season. However, when the protests happened, and then even after the protests Uh, devolved into the riots and the looting and the killing, the government, uh, you know, didn't bat an eye at that in the middle of the pandemic. They didn't bat an eye at the protests. In fact, most politicians encouraged the protests and did nothing about the riots. There were actually uh, politicians marching with protesters in some cities. So there was even an article, I remember, from a major news source that I won't mention by name, but this article said that the protests weren't uh, spreading coronavirus, which is insane because I didn't realize a virus could be woke like that. Um, This revealed a, a, a double standard, a very clear double standard. We can have thousands of people marching and chanting in the street for social justice, but we can't have people gathered together Um, you know, social distance and everything, but still gather together in church. That's far too dangerous, okay? Protests, okay. 
mass protests, thousands of people huddled together in the streets, that's fine. But, you know, a couple hundred people in a church, much too dangerous. A very, very obvious double standard. So in response to this, uh, in response to this double standard against the church, prohibiting the church from meeting due to COVID, uh, a worship leader out of California named Sean Feucht, I think that's how you say his name, Sean, F-E-U-C-H-T, uh, I think that it's pronounced Feucht, but he started to hold these outdoor worship services as a protest to uh, the banning of religious in-person services. So he's gone all over the country. Recently, he was in Seattle and Portland holding these worship events. And if you've gone to one of them or you, f you followed him on social media, you know how amazing these outdoor services have been. But the critics, certain groups of people, are protesting Sean Foyk's protest. So they're protesting his right to worship protest. And um, certain people, certain groups of Christians are, are protesting and using that passage in Amos that we read. Okay, there was a particular post on Instagram that I remember seeing. Um, they were at his event in Portland holding a sign with that verse from Amos out of the message paraphrase. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. I want justice. So there are certain groups of Christians who think that having a worship night and praying for the sick and preaching the gospel and leading people to Jesus and then baptizing them, that's not enough. The church needs to be more concerned about systemic racism and inequality and injustice than it is about anything else. And the church would do better to not have these traditional, you know, worship services, but it would do better to be more politically engaged in these social justice solutions. So they attack the riots to revival movement that Sean Foyt has started, and they say that the triumphalist worship songs are racist even, and they say that we need to do more to promote justice in the world than just get together and sing songs. Now, here's the thing. I'm not sure that God's definition of justice and the woke definition of justice that some Christians are working with are the same thing. Actually, actually, I'm not sure why I'm being so nice about it. I'm certain that biblical justice and woke justice is not the same thing at all. In fact, they are worlds apart. I also believe that the Christians who are so moved to act because of the tragic events that have happened... Um, in the case of George Floyd, in the, the case of Breonna Taylor and others, I think they uh, attack people like Sean Foyt because they are so deeply disturbed and moved by those tragedies. So I think it comes from a good place. I really do. I think it comes from a good place. Um, I believe it, it comes from a tender heart that wants to see necessary change in the world, but I also believe that a lot of those people have bought into a woke critical race theory definition of justice, and they've uh, conflated that with biblical justice. Now, if you want to know more about critical race theory, what that is, and how it's infiltrating the church, I'd encourage you to look up a woman named uh, Monique Dusan and her organiz organization called 
the Center for Biblical Unity. Uh, they are a great resource on that topic. What we're going to do here on this show is actually look at the book of Amos and find out specifically what injustices God is so mad about. And when we look at the book of Amos in context, it will uh, help us identify misapplications and it will help us from uh, misapplying the scripture ourselves. So I really think that the vast majority of people who are using this passage in Amos 5 are misapplying it. And that's a shame. And actually, that's detrimental to the mission of the church. Okay, so um, getting into the book of Amos, Amos is what we call one of the minor prophets or part of the book of the 12 in the Jewish corpus. And we call Amos a minor prophet not because his ministry was insignificant, but because the book is much shorter than uh, the major prophets such as Isaiah and Ezekiel, who have very long books. As I said earlier, most of the prophets seem to have a bent towards calling out injustice, and that's certainly true of Amos. In fact, you could probably say that Amos takes uh, that prophetic bent, that aspect of calling out of uh, injustice in the world to a whole other level, right? He kicks it up to a whole different notch. You read the book and it, he seems like he's just spitting angry. It's all very fire and brimstone. The first verse of the book of Amos identifies the author as Amos, a shepherd from uh, Tekoa. Now, Amos is typically thought of as a prophet to Israel, the northern kingdom, but uh, Tekoa was actually in the southern kingdom of Judah, which also gets some of Amos's prophetic sting. So uh, he prophesies mainly to Israel, but also to Judah. He also prophesies to some of Israel's neighboring nations. Interestingly enough, Amos doesn't ever really identify as a prophet though he clearly is one, he's a shepherd and a cultivator of figs, the Bible says. So this could play into why his ministry has such a bite to it, actually. The wickedness in the city streets is probably much more pronounced when you spend all your time with sheep and fig trees. So he's just a, a humble guy. He's a humble shepherd who just can't resist speaking the word of God. I'm reminded of the words of Jeremiah, that the word of God was like fire shut up in his bones and he just had no choice but to let it out. I think that's also true of Amos. As I mentioned, Amos mostly preached in the northern kingdom of Israel, particularly to the heavily populated cities of Bethel and Samaria. He had his ministry in the 8th century B.C., and he prophesied of a total disaster coming to Israel as judgment for their wicked ways. His predictions are fulfilled right around the year 722 BC when the Assyrians uh, come and destroy the kingdom of Israel and carry the people off into exile, never to be heard from again, really, at least not in any meaningful, organized way. So if you've ever heard uh, of the lost tribes of Israel, there they are. It's those ten tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. So those ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, they get carried off into exile by the Assyrians and are 
never heard from again in any kind of organized way. So that's a brief, brief background on Amos, very brief background on Amos, uh, the man and the book. Obviously, one of the main shticks of Amos is calling out the injustice in the land, and he does it throughout the book. And uh, it kind of crescendos in our passage from chapter 5, perhaps the most famous part of the entire book of Amos, let justice roll down like waters. So think about verse 21 again. Verse 21, Amos 5, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I can't stand your solemn assemblies. That would have been a, a, a very tough pill to swallow because the Israelites, you know, they were keeping God's commands, but they were doing it in name only. They were only doing, you know, the ceremonies and the rituals. The Israelites are getting, say, the mechanics of worship. They're getting that right, but God doesn't care about the ceremony and the ritual as much as he cares about the heart. So even though they were making the right sacrifices, singing the right songs, their hearts were far from God. And that was reflected in their actions and their lifestyles. This brings me to the question now, what were the Israelites doing that made God so mad that he couldn't stand their sacrifices and worship? What specifically were the injustices that Amos was calling out? This is very important. You know, as, as modern Western people, we tend to impose our own world onto the biblical text. We read into it. I really think that's what's happening now with this passage in Amos 5. Certain groups of people are isolating a few verses and imposing present-day issues of injustice on it. And that might not be so bad because I do believe that the Bible can speak to our present moment, but we have to be careful not to impose our own ideas and methods of doing justice on the biblical text. We have to let the Bible speak for itself. We need to examine our present moment through the lens of the Bible and not examine the Bible through the lens of our present moment. I'm not saying God doesn't have an opinion on police brutality towards ethnic minorities in America. I, I think he does. I think he abhors it. I think it grieves his heart. But again, let the Bible speak for itself, and then let us examine our present moments uh, through the lens of Scripture. So, so what exactly are the injustices that Amos and God are so upset about to the point of God delivering the nation into the hands of a foreign invading army in the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Well, you don't have to have a degree in biblical studies to figure it out, okay? All you have to do is read through the book of Amos, like the whole book. Now, it'd take too much time to read through all of Amos here on the program, so I encourage you to do that in your own study. Uh, but what we do have time to do here is uh, survey some key verses from th throughout the book. So that's what we're going to do. We'll start with chapter 2. Now you might wonder, why aren't we beginning with chapter 1? And Well, that's because uh, in chapter 1, the prophet is actually dealing with Israel's neighbors. It isn't until chapter 2 that we uh, begin to hear about Judah and Israel. So I'm going to read starting in verse 6 from the second chapter of Amos here. 
Uh, the heading in my ESV Bible says, A Judgment on Israel. It says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth, and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Okay, what's happening here? What is God's issue? Well, in the Torah, in the law God gave to Moses, God laid out that there was supposed to be a special regard for the poor, in ancient Israelite society. So what's happening here is that the rich, the upper class Israelites, were showing no regard to the poor. In fact, they were completely disregarding the poor entirely. What would happen was the rich would lend to the poor, and when uh, the poor weren't able to pay back the debt, the rich would actually have them sold into slavery in order to have the debt paid back. And if that wasn't bad enough, there was also oftentimes a, a sexual component to this slavery. It's very terrible. And they would do this over something as little as a pair of sandals. Now, Jesus warned about a very similar practice in a parable in Matthew 18. You know, in, in Matthew 18, Jesus tells the story of a servant who owed his master 10,000 bags of gold. But he couldn't pay the debt. The master uh, was merciful, however, and he forgave uh, his servant's debt. But after that servant left with his debt forgiven, he saw a fellow servant who owed him just a hundred bags of gold. Now, he did not have compassion on his fellow servant like his master had on him. Rather, he had his fellow servant thrown in jail for not being able to pay the debt. And when the master found out, he was furious that the servant did not forgive a small debt when he had such a great debt forgiven himself, and the master had the wicked servant thrown in jail. Now this is obviously a picture of our sins being forgiven by God when we come to faith in Jesus and how we in turn should uh, forgive others when they trespass against us. But Jesus is using the language of the prophetic tradition of the Old Testament in his parable to make that point. He's using that prophetic language that would have been familiar to his audience to make that point. We should be gracious with people, whether they hurt us emotionally or whether they've taken money from us and can't pay that money back right away. Whatever the case may be, just as God has been gracious to us, so we too must be gracious to others. Now this is very, very important to note. Showing mercy is an extremely vital component of biblical justice. In fact, if you take mercy and remove it from justice, it ceases to be biblical justice. Okay, God's justice is more concerned with restoration than it is with retribution. That's something, you know, a lot of people in our world have trouble uh, wrapping their heads around. You know, we watch movies like John Wick, which, like, you know, 
I, I like that movie. I like I'm a John Wick fan. But you know, we watch movies like John Wick or uh, Taken or you know these revenge movies, and and we cheer when the bad guys get theirs. And you know there is a punishment for the wicked, but. You know, God's justice, by and large, the overall theme of the Bible is restoration over retribution. And um, that's a big topic, and we'll save getting into that deeper for another time. But, But that's one issue in the book of Amos. The rich taking advantage of the poor and selling them into slavery to make a profit when the poor couldn't pay back their debts right away. And then even taking advantage of those poor wage slaves in a sexual manner. That's a big, big injustice that God was taking issue with in the book of Amos. Uh, Okay, let's continue. Back to chapter 5 of Amos now. So we were in Amos 2. Okay, well, we started in Amos 5. Then we went to Amos 2. Now we're back to chapter 5. Earlier in the chapter this time. And we're going to start in verse 10. Quote, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate." Now here again in this passage, God is upset at the way the nation of Israel treats the poor among them. This time, however, the charge of injustice doesn't go against the rich for taking advantage of the poor. The charge of injustice is actually laid at the feet of the government. Why? Because they are exploiting the poor, the working class people of Israel, by taxing them to death. Instead of giving people economic relief, the leadership exploited them by making their tax burden even heavier. We also see from this passage that God is also not a fan of judges and political leaders taking bribes. Now, if you've ever done a study on biblical justice or have done a cursory reading just through the Bible, you've read verses over and over again about how much God does not like partiality. And he especially doesn't like it when someone in a position of power shows partiality because they've been bought off with some kind of bribe. And guess who can afford bribes? Okay, it's not the regular Joe Israelite working in the field trying to put food on the table while being taxed to death and taken advantage of by the upper class. Okay, these are the issues of injustice in the book of Amos, exploitation of the poor, um, unfair and heavy tax burdens, wage slavery, sexual exploitation, the giving and taking of bribes by people in positions of power and showing partiality and judgment. Okay, those are the issues of injustice that the book of Amos is dealing with. And it's because the Israelites are actively participating in those things that God does not care for, that's why their sacrifices and their songs are, you know, met with a shrug by God. He doesn't want that as much as he wants hearts of justice. But justice rolled down like waters, 
and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You know, that's more than just pretty words that you can write on a Hallmark card or write on a sign at a protest. You know, that, that's actually a prescription, okay? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's a remedy for injustice veiled in poetic and prophetic language. Okay, waters and rivers uh, specifically, they hold a spiritual and prophetic significance in Scripture. In the book of Genesis, there is a river that flows from the Garden of Eden. In Jerusalem, there was a river that flowed from the temple in Jerusalem. The Israelites believed that this river, called the river of life in the Scripture, it flowed from the temple when God assumed his throne there. If you read uh, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47, the prophet Ezekiel sees a vision of this. He sees a river flowing from the rebuilt temple. I love verse uh, 9. Verse 9 of Ezekiel 47, it says, Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. So it's with this understanding of the river imagery that we have to understand the scripture in Amos. A river flowed from the garden when God's presence was in Eden. A river flowed from the temple when God's presence resided in the temple. So when Amos says, let justice roll down like waters or like a river and uh, let righteousness like an, roll down like an ever-flowing stream, when he says that, he's calling to mind the river that flowed from the house of God. God didn't institute the solemn assemblies, the sacrifices, and the songs just because he wanted a show. He instituted them for a purpose. He instituted those things for his presence to come down and dwell among the people. Catch this, right? True worship causes a transformation of the heart. And it moves people to do justice and act righteously. So the waters rolling down, the rivers that flow from God's temple, it isn't about literal water, right? It's not about the chemical uh, H2O, okay? It's people. The rivers of living water are the people of God carrying life wherever they go. So when Amos calls for justice and righteousness, he's not calling the people to stop worshiping and focus on political solutions. He's calling for the people to embrace uh, the true purpose of worship, which is to experience and be in the presence of God. He's calling people to participate in worship not as a maneuver or a ritual to put on a show for God and make him happy for a while so they could keep on doing their own thing, but he's calling for people to participate in worship in the manner God always intended, in a manner that produces a heart change, to transform the heart, the human heart, from one of stone back to one of flesh. 
the assemblies, the sacrifices, and the songs were to be a place from which God's people, just and righteous, could flow and give life to the world. Amos shows us that true biblical justice involves bringing people into a right relationship with God. And when you're in a right relationship with God, from that you, you enter into a right relationship with the people around you. And from right relationship comes right behavior and right conduct. You know, Jesus picks up on this rivers of living water imagery and tradition, and he levels it up. He takes it to a whole new level. He uses the same prophetic imagery of Amos in John 4 when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he uses it to speak of himself. Jesus told her, whoever drinks the water that he gives them will never thirst again because the water he gives will become a spring of water gushing into eternal life. Think about this. You know, the water flowed from the garden when the presence of God was in the Garden of Eden. The water flowed from the temple when the presence of God was in the temple. Think about this. The New Testament calls us, both the church collectively and then us individually as Christians, the New Testament calls us God's temple. And when we come to faith in Messiah Jesus and he lives in our hearts and we have the Spirit of God inside of us and Jesus transforms our heart, he brings us into a right relationship with God and we have the river of living water that he puts in us because his presence resides in us, his temple. His presence resides in us as his temple and the rivers of living water flows in and out of us. Both Amos and Jesus give us an incredible picture of what it means to be the people of God in our being in our life, in our actions, in our existence. We are a river of life. And from our relationship with God and from our worship, out of that will flow acts of justice and righteousness like water to a dry and thirsty land. This is why the church meeting and gathering together is essential. Even during the COVID pandemic, this is why we need the worship nights and the Let Us Worship, and the Riots to Revival movement. This is why we need revival, period. You know, th this might sound harsh to some, but, you know, God has not commanded his people to take cues on social justice from worldly philosophies and from the spirit of the age. Okay, let me say that one more time. God has not commanded his people to take cues on social justice from worldly philosophies and from the spirit of the age. As Christians, we take our cues on social justice from our relationship with God, and we let the Bible define what that looks like. It starts on a personal level, too. Okay, be kind, forgive, be gracious to those around you because our Heavenly Father has been so gracious to us by sending His Son, Messiah Jesus, to die for us and to make atonement for our sins. It starts on a personal level by seeking restoration over retribution in our lives. 
We need to live out of the river of life that Jesus has given us and show forth the love of God in our words and our deeds. And ultimately, we need to bring people who are far from God back into a right relationship with him because real, lasting justice can only come from a heart that's been transformed by the love and power of God by the Holy Spirit. This is Amos 5, 21 through 24 in context. You know, religious ritual and worship isn't a substitute for social justice, but real biblical justice can only come from hearts that have been transformed by God. Real, lasting biblical justice can only come from people who carry the presence of God with them, who have the river of living water flowing out of them. I want to end with this quote. It's a very wise saying, and I'm not sure who said it first. It's not original to me. I wish I thought of this, but I didn't think of it. I'm not sure who said it, but it goes something like this. Tend to the part of the garden you can touch. A lot of people, they, they want to fight against injustice right now, and rightfully so. There's a lot of it in the world. There's a lot of injustice in the world today in a lot of different shapes and forms. And, and we need to engage that on a big national level, certainly. Certainly. You know, as Americans, I'm all for a good old-fashioned protest. It's, it's our right as Americans. But, you know, those things, they, they don't do any good if we aren't living out of the river of life Jesus has given us and acting righteously in our own worlds, among our own circles, and in our personal lives. And this is actually a way you can tell if something is from God or not when it comes to issues of, of justice in the world. Are these justice solutions being received like water on dry land? Or... Is it adding to the chaos and confusion already there? Okay, that's a good tell. It's a good, it's a good measuring stick for evaluating something claiming to be real justice in the world. Okay, is it being received like water on dry land, or is it adding to chaos and confusion that's already there? So. Next time you go to church, next time you engage with God in personal worship, next time you do your Bible reading, I encourage you, do it with an attitude of humility. Do it purposefully and ask God to help you be a river of life whose acts of righteousness and justice in everyday life bring water to a dry and thirsty land. Thanks for listening. Be blessed.